0: If you would, please turn to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 8. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 8. I will be reading Luke, chapter 8, verses 40 through 56. Now, when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed Him. For they were all waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus who was a ruler of the synagogue. And falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house because he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. As Jesus went, the people pressed around him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by any one. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. And immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, Who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed and Jesus said to her daughter your faith has made you well go in peace and while he was still speaking someone from the ruler's house came and said your daughter is dead do not trouble the teacher anymore but Jesus on hearing this answered him Do not fear, only believe and she will be well. And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the father and the mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her, but he said, Do not weep, for she is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But taking her by the hand, he called, saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned. And she got up at once. And he directed that something should be given her to eat. And her parents were amazed. But he charged them to tell no one what had happened. Lord Jesus, may we grasp this morning in Your Word and by Your Spirit the truth of Your compassion toward us, of Your tenderness and care lord all who only believe to the glory of your cross of your resurrection of this great message of the gospel i pray amen the fear and the pain and the loneliness of these two people or the lady and this family is a picture of everyone's life at some point or another to to have the bottom just drop out from under us is sometimes the the most merciful thing that God can orchestrate in our life in order to show His extraordinary mercy. In order that we come to a place of believing in His extraordinary mercy. To be a poor, sick, woman living, we will see, as an outcast from her culture for years or to be of the social elite like the synagogue official. Either way, what each one needs is Jesus. To have Jesus bring you to the the end of yourself. In order that we may find healing from that which separates us from God's presence. When God does those things in our lives, that is a sweet providence. Or, or to have a woman interrupt Jesus while you're with Him on the way to your house to save your daughter's life, (laughs) that was no accident. It was sweet providence. To have God come into one's life, I know my life better than anybody's, so you can use your own, but to have Him come to a 19-year-old and just have these miserable fears all of a sudden of what's life about. To feel purposelessness just invading every part of my being. To be depressed is a sweet providence if in his orchestration that led like it did for me, to embrace the only hope there was, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's go to the text. Luke chapter 8, starting with verse 40. Let's look at it. Remember the context. Jesus with His disciples. They're on the Western siding, western, northwest side of Sea of Galilee and Capernaum and that whole area. He's been ministering for a long time. That's mainly all Jewish. They went across five, six miles across the Sea of Galilee, we saw. And in the middle of the night, there was a storm. They thought they're all going to die. Jesus, he gets up, he speaks to the storm. It ceases. In the morning they land on the other side, the east side of the Sea of Galilee in Gentile territory and they're met by a crazy naked demoniac. Jesus casts the demons out of him. The people freak and ask him, please leave. They get in the boat and they go back across and land again in the Jewish side. And we pick up in verse 40. Now when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue. And falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house, because he had an only daughter, about twelve years of age, and she was dying. Now let's get the picture. Jairus is a prominent citizen in the Jewish culture. He's the ruler of his particular, in that town, the synagogue. He was responsible for its upkeep, for the maintenance of the building. He's responsible for its religious spiritual services. He's responsible for getting who will preach this sabbath who will read scripture who will lead in prayers this was a position of status that was only given to those with money in prestige now in a moment in this story we're going to see a woman who ended up on the opposite side of the social economic ladder but Jairus, we will see, was brought to the same desperation as that woman. All of his success and prestige paled in significance when his only daughter is about to die. All the worldly success in the world whether you have billions like Steve Jobs did, cannot ultimately protect you from tragedy for dying at age 56 of cancer. I mean, it may help in certain circumstances with better medical treatment, but often it's not the case. Now, if you've been paying attention to the Gospel of Luke, it has become... Pretty clear that the religious leaders were not so taken up positively with this itinerant Jewish preacher, healer guy. But when reality hits a Jewish leader like Jairus, the reality of life and death and what really matters, your family and Daughter, fear. Oh, the precious gift of fear. Fear strips him of his pride. I think most of us can taste what happened here. Is there a bigger fear in life than to lose, oh please don't let me lose, a child to death. How many of us parents have sat up in the middle of the night with children with 103, 104 degree fevers? When I was, well not when I was, when my firstborn was a year and a half and We're wrestling with fever day after day and been to the doctor and finally we had to rush her to the emergency room again and they had to do a spinal tap. Okay, go ahead, do that. And then we admit her to the hospital for the next nine torturous days living in the children's wing of the hospital to save her life. Well, okay. You can feel it, right? Even you who are going to have a baby, you can, you can feel it. And you'll know it all the more, right, parents? Jairus and his wife have been going through that for, I don't know, days, weeks. you got to remember, before antibiotics. It is amazing how people just die from what we easily cure. now, they have this pit in their stomach feeling and... Maybe I don't know. It goes something like this. Maybe his wife says, "Finally, honey, I know, I know what you and your cronies have been thinking and how you're staying standoff. But you know, there's been all kinds of reports of this Jesus guy healing people. I mean, miraculous reports. Why don't you go and see if you can find him and if he'll come to our house?" And heal our daughter. But honey, I'm the ruler of the synagogue. You you know what my peers are thinking? How nasty they are towards Jesus' ministry. I know, honey. But this is our daughter. Please. It's amazing what parents will do for their child's life. I willingly, with Lindsay at one and a half, willingly for 20 torturous minutes, helped hold that screaming baby down while we are sticking needles in her trying to find veins yes please get needles in her yes please pump poison into her body and kill these bugs which are really strong or for gyrus yes it may cost me my position it may cost me ridicule but this is my daughter And so, he goes to find Jesus. His wife stays at home with neighbors with the daughter. And he finds him. And he goes flat down to the ground begging Jesus, please, will you come with me to my house and heal my daughter? And Jesus says, yes. And so, they're on the way to Jairus' house. And then something happened. Pick up in verse 42. As Jesus went, the people pressed around Him, and there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for twelve years. And though she had spent all of her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. All nice. right, this woman had constant bleeding feminine bleeding that not for 5 or 6 days a month in her normal menstrual cycle but like that but nonstop she most likely has a a hemorrhage in her uterus it left her weak Physically and I, I I'm not a woman, but right women, uncomfortable for twelve years. But that was minor compared to the cultural and the religious consequences of her particular problem. What I mean is this according to the Bible according to the law which she is under, according to Leviticus chapter 15, this feminine constant problem left her perpetually unclean. Ceremonially unclean. Ceremony means when you're unclean, you're not allowed during the unclean state to go to the temple whether during festival or whatever, or even in the woman's section of the temple, she's not allowed to be at synagogue services. If you'll turn there or listen, I'm going to read from Leviticus 15 for a moment. Starting with verse 19, we read When a woman has a discharge, and the discharge is in her body, or the discharge in her body is blood she shall be in her menstrual impurity for seven days. And whoever touches her shall be unclean until the evening. And everything on which she lies during her menstrual impurity shall be unclean. Everything also on which she sits shall be unclean. And he goes on and on and on. And let me pick up in verse 25. If a woman has a discharge of blood for many days, not at the time of her menstrual impurity, or if this is this woman's problem, or if she has a discharge beyond the time of her impurity, then all the days of the discharge she shall continue in uncleanness. As in the days of her impurity, she shall be unclean. Every bed on which she lies all the days of her discharge shall be to her as the bed of her impurity. And everything on which she sits shall be unclean, as in the uncleanness of her menstrual impurity. And whoever touches these things shall be unclean and shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until the evening. And thus you shall keep the people of Israel separate from their uncleanness, lest they die in their uncleanness by defiling my tabernacle that is in there. Her culture revolved around the religious annual festivals in Jerusalem at the temple and weekly synagogue services. And then, as you see, I think she's going to need to have her own seats for her alone. Because you don't sit in the seats you just sat in. Or you're unclean, you've got to wrestle with all that as a Jew. So, that's her situation. And not only that, because you can feel the desperateness. I want to get well. So, it broke her eventually. It sucked her financially dry. Look at verse 43. She had spent all of her living on physicians. Physicians. She could not be healed by anyone. Mark in his Gospel says it this way, She suffered much under many physicians. There's no medical insurance back then. She tried everything. And she's now broke. Now, we can get a feel of what she's probably doing. Because the Talmud huge religious text of the Jews and up until today, which the Talmud was written down later of all the oral traditions going on in her time in the first century. And the Talmud lists 11 remedies for her problem. It's much like today. You ever been in a group of people you mentioned, I got a cold. Oh boy, (laughs) do they have answers. Okay. The Talmud had all kinds of answers. Let me give you a taste of how the Talmud says, Oh, you're perpetually bleeding, lady? Quote, Take the gum of Alexandria, the weight of a small silver coin, of a lum the same, of crocus the same. Let them be bruised together and given in wine to the woman that has an issue of blood. If this does not benefit... Then take Persian onions, three pints, boil them in wine and give her to drink, and say, Arise from your issue of blood. If this does not cure her, set her in a place where two ways meet, and let her hold a cup of wine in her right hand, and let someone come behind and frighten her and say, Arise from your flow of blood. Uh, Another one. Carry an ostrich egg in a linen bag in the summer. uh, In a cotton bag in the winter. If that doesn't do it, try this carry around a barley corn kernel found in the dung of a white female donkey. (laughs) She, She must have tried them all. This is her culture. Then we read, Pick up verse 44. She came up behind Jesus and touched the fringe of His garment. And immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, Who touched Me? And when everyone around Him denied it, Jesus said, I mean, excuse me. Peter said, "Master, are you nuts?" Okay, the crowd surround you, and they're pressing in on you. I mean, everyone's bumping into you. But Jesus said, "No." I mean, who touched me with faith? I know someone touched me because. I perceive or I know that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, I think it makes sense for a few reasons why she wants to not be known. What's your problem? (laughs) That's one thing in our culture. You say it in her culture, they're going to get really angry. Why are you around us? Why are you in a crowd? Why are you bumping into us, making us unclean? So, so you can feel the fear, the embarrassment, the whole. She, she couldn't remain hidden. So she came because Jesus, she knew, he was calling him out. She's trembling. And falling down before him, she declared in the presence of all the people why she touched him and how she had been immediately healed and Jesus said to her daughter your faith has made you well go in peace so there she is she's just a large crowd she's got this idea in her head this Jesus character has been around for over a year easily. She's heard so many miracle stories. She probably has heard him preach, and they're walking down the road, and she's in there. Maybe I can sneak up this way because they're, they're walking somewhere, and she reaches out and touches one of those tassels that Jesus would have had on his clothing, and she knew she was healed. Now, why is she doing that? If you remember. If you just turn back a page in Luke. Chapter 6, verse 19. Luke has already said this. And all the crowd sought to touch Jesus because power came out from Him and healed them all. So, she reaches out. And she felt that she was healed. Mark says it this way in his Gospel. And she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. Now, somehow, in a moment, in touching, we're going to see with a heart of faith, she felt something. And her issue was healed like that. And Jesus felt something. He felt healing power go out from him. Who did that? That's what he does. They're thinking, what are you talking about? No, I know someone touched me in a particular way because I know that God has healed that person through me. He wants her to testify. He doesn't want to embarrass her. I think in the context why he does what he does and he stops and says, who does it? He doesn't let up and she finally realizes. He wants her to testify to the people about the significance of faith. The significance of her heart toward the Messiah who is here. He wants it placarded. That's why he says then to her. Guys all hear that? You hear that? You're gonna hear this too. Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Okay, let's just Okay, let's go to the other guy. What is he feeling in these three, six, eight minutes? Don't know. What's going on in Jairus? I mean, this interruption on the way to trying to save his daughter's life who's dying. It's got to be for, for us like, okay, you're, you're with the paramedics. They're driving with a siren on, rushing with you, you're in the van, to your house to save your daughter's life. And the paramedic decides to pull over and bandage up some woman with a skinned knee. I mean, it's not a life-threatening thing. And have a discussion with her. He's got to be wringing his hands. And as precious minutes go by, it was enough time to have news run down the road to Jairus. Pick up in verse 49. While Jesus was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. His heart sank. His daughter is gone. And then, two of the greatest words put together in the Bible. But Jesus. But Jesus on him hearing this, he looked at Jairus and he said, don't fear. Don't fear. Only trust me. That's what believe means. Only believe and your daughter will be made well. And so, pick up with verse 51. And When they they went, and He, Jesus, they came to the house. Jesus allowed no one to enter with Him except Peter, John, and James, and the father and the mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her, but He said, Do not weep, for she is not dead, but is sleeping. And they laughed at him because they knew she was dead. They get to the house and the professional mourners are already at work. This is their culture. And he's fairly wealthy, so he's got numbers of flute players, numbers of professional criers, and it starts to low and it gets louder of the weeping and they're tearing their clothes over here by their chest at, at the death. Of this little girl, and Jesus says, Stop it. She's not dead. She's just asleep. He's going to show, because she's going to come out here and wake up in a minute. Now, of course, they think he's nuts, because they know she's dead. And, you know, Jesus knows she's dead. Probably cold. I don't know how much time has gone by at this point. She's dead. He kicks everyone out. He just wants his, not not all of the twelve, but Peter, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, those inner three, and then the mom and the dad. And they're in the room there. Pick up. He takes her by the hand. And he says, Get up. And her spirit, a non-physical immaterial part that's for all the materialists out there in the world returned to her body her eyes fluttered she sits up and she gets up and Jesus boy I like this she's hungry she probably hasn't eaten in days because she's been sick get her something to eat and her parents were amazed. Okay, that's an understatement. There, there, are no words for some things, right? And then Jesus charged them, "Don't tell anybody what's happened." For, for them, I just a lot of these unbelievers out here mourning. I just want them to think, you know, well, maybe we were wrong. She was asleep. Just okay. The the the, the part of that is what in theology, biblical theology, we talk call it the, the messianic secret. See, Jesus does not expect anybody to understand and get it. If who and why He has come in the first coming. We've talked a lot about this. Even His own disciples struggle when He tells him later on in Luke, now, face to face, this is what I'm going to do. And they had no category for the the bottom line foundational reason for His coming in humanity, which was to sacrifice His life as the perfect righteous man on behalf of many. They weren't going to get it until after His physical bodily resurrection. And so you get this tension he is healing. He's compassionate. He's he's fulfilling prophecy. Everyone's not getting him, but many people are. There are signs to the people. Signs to bring people to faith and signs of judgment in their unbelief. But He's doing this. And there's something about His humanity when a man walks up to Him and says, Please come and heal my daughter. That He, in His humanity, during the years He's here, will... Kind of keep it down, okay? Let's not, you know, they're going to get all messed up and think they're going to put a crown on my head again. And he struggles throughout this in his, in his ministry. Now, this is how I want to turn it now. What we see in this historical picture of a real day that really objectively happened with a healing of this unclean, separated from the people of God, separated from the presence of God in the temple, woman, and the rising of the dead of this girl, is this. That that tender, heartfelt care that Jesus had for these two situations, it is a picture. It's a picture of the tender, heartfelt care that He has for the eternal well-being of everybody who wants to be healed of the disease of sin that has separated them from God. This woman's ceremonial uncleanness that kept her away from the picture of the presence of God called the temple, it is a graphic picture of how sin, not merely her menstrual and ongoing blood flow, but how sin defiles every one of us. And how that sin has separated us from the temple of God Himself. This is the way the New Testament puts it. If you would, because I'm I'm going to read from this chapter a couple times. Ephesians chapter 2. Paul, just, I think, you wanted the picture of uncleanness. You can't come near unless you get cleansed, etc. Okay, so you've got to start with the uncleanness. Ephesians 2, starting with verse 1. This was the woman's real deeper problem, not her 12 years of blood flow. And it's the deeper problem of every one of us who has come to being. As humans, Paul writes, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. We all, by our nature, are filled with uncleanness, separated from God's good pleasure presence. Just like this poor woman. And then, after 12 years, she hears, there's this preacher, this healer, this Jesus. She heard the message. She went. Uh, then, we hear the message of this Jesus. We hear the good news, especially since on this side of the whole purpose, where He's going, He's on His way to Jairus' house, and then somewhere else, and then somewhere else, and then up towards Jerusalem. He's on His way to the cross. And we hear He did it! His substitutionary sacrifice where He laid His life down as the perfect righteous Lamb of God where God's wrath was poured out on Him. He had no desert for that. He, He didn't have any sin. Oh, He took the punishment for the sins of others which was modeled in the Old Testament with the animal sacrifice. He's the one. And God vindicated that this is done by raising Him from the dead. We hear that message of Jesus. And if you're still there in Ephesians 2, I'm just going to read on where Paul left off with those great words again. Remember, we're all darkened, unclean. The wrath of God hangs over us justly. And you pick up in verse 4. But God. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were like that woman, unclean, even when we were dead in our trespasses, He made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. So, like this woman, anybody on this planet right now can come to Jesus with all their defilement, with all their sin, and touch Him, grab hold of Him with a heart of faith. And he'll say something like, Daughter, son, your faith, literally in the Greek, in our text, has saved you. So-so. Your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Oh, that's mind-boggling. He doesn't mean something there. Oh, shalom. That's what I do. Jesus knows what he's doing. He means what he said to that prostitute. We saw a couple chapters before. He means your sins are forgiven. You have peace with God. Because real faith is there. Your heart, according to Ephesians, which hasn't been written yet, (laughs) has come alive. See, this is why the gospel is so precious. What this is reason 768,462 is that when you come to Jesus truly without hiding anything with all your sin you don't defile Him all the people that this woman touched all the furniture she touched was defiled ceremonially she's bumping through the crowd they are ceremonially being defiled when she touches Jesus with the heart of faith, He was not defiled. Instead, she was made clean from her guilt and her sin. The way the New Testament, Second Corinthians 5 puts it, just you picture picture our scene here picture second corinthians picture Jesus walking here's the woman here's what's going on in this man Jesus in christ god was reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them how? Verse 21. For our sake, God made Christ Jesus to be sin. Th- that is the one who knew no sin. Didn't have sin himself. Why? So that in Christ we might become the righteousness of God. That's the Gospel. Gospel. That whatever your problem, however great your sins and defilement are, you can be absolutely assured that if, if you come to Jesus with a heart of desperateness, a heart of faith to trust what he did on the cross. Him who knew no sin, who took the punishment for your sin, and you have nothing to offer. If you, with a heart of desperateness, believe that, then He will treat you with—we don't have a word for it. It just you with a compassion and a tenderness that is incomprehensible you can know for sure that if you come to Jesus Christ with a heart of faith, your sins, past, present, and future, have been already taken care of. And they are removed from your legal slate before God. Now, the best thing that happened to this woman was that she finally went broke, trying to find a remedy. And she was left with nothing else, but there's no hope, but okay, will this Jesus do it? Will He he heal me? She was left with nothing else, but to go to the one person For whom, actually, the entire Old Testament, the entire Old Covenant, the entire tabernacle, temple, priesthood, clean, unclean laws, how you come to the presence of God and all those rules, all of that was a picture pointing to this one man walking down the road. She was left to go to the only one who would heal now without cost. Without pay, she couldn't earn it or do anything for it. And that's the problem. That's that's the reason why there are so many people that hear the gospel, that sit in churches week after week, and they hear it preached, and they never really hear it. Because deep down, in the recesses of the heart, they're sure that there are human remedies for their flow of blood. There, there really has to be something that they do or add to it. And so it just gets twisted. And they're like, oh no, I like Jesus, but they're not really ever hearing it. It's my twelve step Program. Look at me, I, 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 yep, I, I turned 36, I got a family now, I turned over a new leaf, I'm doing better in life. And they keep on working. And so they trust in religion, religious activities, human philosophies. This, this woman, she tried some very difficult and even crazy seeming and expensive remedies for years. And then one day, her actual healing came simply, freely, easy. Many people stumble at the meaning of the cross. Stumble at the meaning of salvation in Christ. Because it's too simple. It's too easy. Tell people, in order to be forgiven by God and to be made right with God, you want to go to heaven. Everyone wants to go to heaven. If there's God, I certainly want to want to go there. Tell them that okay. Then for the next year, every day you need to take off your shoes and walk on hot coals, fifty feet, or or crawl on broken glass, or just watch the movie The Mission with Robert De Niro and. Pray seven times a day, facing that way. Or or say, five Our Fathers and ten Hail Marys. Go on and on. You tell people, no, 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 the cross is important. You can't be saved without the cross. But you've got to add works to it. You tell them that, it's amazing how they'll be willing. Tell them. Believe. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel. What that meant about his life, death, and resurrection. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be eternally saved. You will one day be resurrected forever to new life, absolutely sinless. You will in this life, while you're a sinner, be justified, absolutely in God's sight. He looks at you, he looks at Jesus Christ who never sinned. He treats you, therefore, just like His Son because you're in Him. How do I get there? Don't fear, Jairus. Only believe. See, the real problem with the gospel for many people is that Christ did it all. And faith in Him is offensive to people the next words that Paul writes in Ephesians 2 for by grace you have been saved through faith and this whole ball of wax is not your own doing it's a gift of God not as a result of works so that no one may boast. There is no man-centeredness in true Christianity, the Gospel. And that's why many people don't ever truly hear it, even if it's clearly and truly preached. See, when Jesus told this woman that her faith Saved her or made her well or healed her. I think what he's doing, he's clarifying for everybody here that this is like a lot of people had in that culture, this idea of more magical type superstitious things going on. And this woman might have even. Don't know. But he's clarifying. Your faith healed you. Now, what does that mean? See, the point is that faith here is the means. It, it's, say it this way. It's the bridge between the woman or between any of us and Christ. It's the bridge that receives the healing or the salvation or the justification from God through Christ. He's not saying faith is some type of supernatural power like electricity that you can't see. And and the faith healed you. The faith did not heal her. And faith doesn't save you in that way. Christ, or God the Father, healed her. Through faith, there's a difference. Christ healed. Christ saves. That is, the object of faith or trust is the one who saves, the one who heals. That's Jesus' point. Christ coming as the eternal God without beginning, without end, the creator of the universe, the second person of the Trinity, becoming a human being and doing all the work in His perfect human life of obedience in a sacrificial substitutionary death. And his resurrection from the dead. He saves. He bought it. It is faith in us sinners that then is the means that he now justifies us and says, You got it. You see, from the foundation of the world, you were chosen from the foundation of the world, it's proven I died for you because my faith is in you now, in this life. Picture it this way. In other words, again, faith is not some positive thinking. It's not some kind of power. Get myself to bleed. Faith is is this supernatural thing in God. Really stronger. Weak, but it's real and it's there. Okay. Picture it this way. There's a forest fire and you're running from it and it's, the wind's blowing 60 miles an hour and it's catching up and you know that you're going to perish. You can't outrun the fire until you come to this big ravine and behind you is that big fire of judgment. And then you're going to perish. Do I jump and perish? And then you realize there's one of those old rickety, you know, on ropes, wooden footbridges. Will you trust the bridge? And if you don't, you're going to perish. If you do, well, you could be saved. If you get the other side. And so you, you, you trust enough that you run across the bridge and you made it. Now, did faith save you? In one sense, depends how you mean it. No, of course not. The bridge did. It was, but you had to trust it. And that's the sense in which faith says it can. The faith is what got you on the bridge. The faith is what got you into Jesus Christ, the only Savior. Now, here's what I want to leave us with who cares at that moment how much faith it took to get onto that bridge? I mean, someone could have great faith. Of course! Maybe, maybe not you ran the point is it was the bridge that saved if the bridge was not sturdy you would have perished anyway okay right you got it and if Christ did not rise from the dead you're going to perish anyway the question is do I have enough faith that's not it is my faith strong enough that's not it it's, do you have faith to get on the bridge? Because here's the thing if the bridge is sturdy enough, it's your salvation. And if Christ rose from the dead, then he is the only salvation. And you know you're in him because you trust him. The strength of your faith is not the core issue. Hear this, because we all need to hear this in our Christian walk at times. Hear it. The strength of the bridge. The surety of Christ. The reality of the Gospel and what He did is your salvation. When your faith is waning, it feels weak. It's real. Rest in that. And say, God, grow my faith. But rest in the gospel of Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you have sent your Son to reconcile us sinners. You have Sent him in order to put away that which repelled us away from your holiness. Thank you that you have sent such a compassionate and tender Savior. The Lord Jesus, may we now not leave this worship. May you draw us deeper. Work in each one. You know every heart here. Speak to us in very special ways. Oh Lord, by your Spirit and by your Word, continue to work.